you are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Emma Sasek's interview with the writer and director for The Novice, Lauren Hathaway. I presume you guys are all here for the Wellington Novice Rowing Program. It's traditionally very hard to move up to varsity, but in the meantime, I think we should learn how to row. Legs first. Body, legs, body, arms, arm, body, legs. Yesterday, I just woke up and I had this epiphany. What are you looking at? See what time I have to get to make varsity. 759 seems doable. I mean, starting varsity in two sports in high school. You're like the best novice out of all of us. Yeah, I mean, like, you're like the best novice. I mean, you're like the best novice out of all of us. The best novice. You're natural. You're natural. You're natural. You're natural. shouldn't be stressed about school. You're the smartest in our high school. I'm not stressed about school, and I work the hardest, so it's different. <laughs> Relax. I'm relaxed. We can't be psychotic like you. Some of us have lives. Your mistake is that you always stick to what you're good at. You have the best time. Still wasn't enough. Relax. You're like the best Give yourself a break. Relax. 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 You don't understand how hard I have to push myself to be the best. I can't keep watching you do this. I'm just gonna go to the bathroom. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for chatting with Next Best Picture and with me for a little bit to talk about um, a really great feature directorial debut for you with The Novice. Congratulations on a lot of great things that have come from this. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, It's been a five-year journey to get to this point, so I'm excited for it to finally be out in the world, you know? Yeah, I um, had the chance to watch this um, earlier this year and... Uh, very scary, very intense, lots of anxiety associated with this movie, but I feel like that's exactly what you wanted to do with this. So if that was the goal, then you succeeded. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wanted to feel like, I, I didn't want the audience to have a moment to breathe. I wanted to feel like you're driving straight off a cliff, Don Juan Luis style, you know, at the end. Um, because yeah, I mean, I think the, the goal of this film is to make the audience feel what the character is feeling. And if you were feeling anxiety, uh, then I guess I did my job. You did. <laughs> um, since this is really, you know, the feature directorial debut for you, I'm interested in learning what really inspired you to get into the movie business and how you did make your start a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, it, we, we can go way back to the, the quote-unquote origin story in the sense that I've always been drawn to, to writing. And if you would have asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have said author. You know, I wanted to be an author. Um, so, so storytelling in that sense has always been a thing. And then the classic found my, my parents' old VHS camera and the, the shipper robe. And I was making slasher films with my friends when I was like 11. And then, but the thing that really solidified it for me, because uh, movies were always big growing up. Um, we, Friday nights, we would rent, you know, two movies from the, the local video store and, and Sunday morning matinees. And um, but my parents very much sheltered me kind of from any of the R-rated scenes or the sex <laughs> or anything or there's too much violence, had to leave the room they come back after um and I had an older brother who was a nerd uh, through, 
three, he's still a nerd, um, three <laughs> both of me, and uh, he, him and all his friends, I remember I was probably 14 at the time, we're talking about going to go see this movie called Kill Bill, and I thought it sounded so stupid, I was like, this movie sounds so stupid, you're such a nerd, and, uh, but fast forward a year when it's on DVD, and my, my mom was taking that, my dad put the DVD into the DVD player, and immediately fell asleep, the movie hadn't even started yet, and again, this movie sounded so stupid to me, I was like, I don't care about this movie, but it was rated R, so I was like, when, when am I going to have a chance to see an R-rated film? I need this. <laughs> yeah, so I sat down and watched it on like a Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. And that movie blew my fucking mind. And from that moment, I was like, I want to be a director. I want to be a director. I'm going to do it. And I want to go to film school, all of this. But but then fast forward a couple, and I was obsessed with it. And I saved all my money to buy a little camera and editing software. Um, but then when I got to, to college, I was immediately, immediately hit with imposter syndrome because uh, I'm a, a redneck from a small town and I was going to this big city college and these, these wealthy kids and tons of dudes, mostly dudes, and they all seem so confident and care about, you know, they have all their cameras and their fancy computers. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I can't be a fucking director. I can't do that. But I loved editing and kind of went into post and then through that found sound, which I yeah. love. And I think, um, you know, it's half the cinematic experience and most, and I know from my career that most people aren't thinking about it in that context. And, um, to move to LA to do, to do sound and, and kind of had accepted that that was going to be my, my career and was totally content with it. But then I started doing really well in my career. And I also, you know, saw how the sausage was made, so to speak. Um, I was working with a lot of my heroes, directors, actors, producers, editors, sound people, what, what have you, um, you know, collaborating, working with them, being in the room with them, seeing how they do things. And, um, and also, you know, I think I had this education of the sense of going from, being at the very ass end of production, you get to see kind of the film come together from the four hour assembly cut to what finally goes into theaters for better or worse. You see what scenes are cut out, what's reworked, what's shifted around, what they end up reshooting. Um, you're hearing the dialogue over and over and over and over being on the mix stage and hearing, you know, producers come in and, and giving notes and dealing with the effects and color, all these things. So I had this unique kind of, and then too, being on the, um, ADR stage with actors and interacting with them and directing them in that context. Uh, that all, I think, gave me the confidence to kind of revisit this this goal, that this thing that I had always wanted, to, to be a director. Um, and so November 2016, I set a five-year goal to transition into writing and directing. And um, this month, the film comes out. It's five years, one month. So not too, uh, not not too, too bad. But, um, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I think at that point when I made the goal, I was very actively thought about what steps I could take to do it because I'm not someone who just you know talks I try and walk the walk and I kind of made a conscious decision to take a step back from my sound career and it was it was a gamble in the sense that like I am you know I'm, t- I'm potentially taking small jobs or, or shitty jobs or, or what have you just to and working just enough to keep my health insurance while I was writing and trying to get this film made and, and doing that whole thing um I think that answered your question. I can't remember exactly what you asked. It did, absolutely. And I was looking through, like, your sound career here, and you've been involved in really great movies. I mean, I love horror, so I see The Conjuring 2 as one of the credits listed there. You've also have Unbroken and Selma. So obviously you have been involved in some major movies, so it kind of makes sense to like, you know, you learn. I'm sure you've learned so much through doing that sound work and kind of seeing the directing aspects of it, maybe even some of the writing aspects of it too, that it would make sense you'd slowly transition into something that you're, you had your heart set on for a while. 
And I think too, it's, it's like this, um, cause I think the other imposter syndrome thing that I was dealing with, I think that most people going into film and, and wanting to be directors, they're very image focused and I care about the image. I do, but a lot of most people that they care, like they can get nerdy over the camera and over mm-hmm. the lenses and over like the lighting setups. And I'm like, I don't really fucking, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it looks incredible. I think it's, but I can't get nerdy and esoteric that way. Um, and I always had, a, I think a little bit of a, security about that because I couldn't make myself care and learn about these things. Uh, but then I realized, I mean, I, I, the one thing I took away from, I did a double major in, in college because I never thought I'd work in film. So I, I also majored in um, marketing. And the one thing I took away from that degree, it's like, it tells you, you know, marketing is not about being the cheapest, the best, the fastest, whatever. It's about how do you differentiate yourself from everyone else? Right. So when I started thinking about that, it's like, okay, I don't need to be like every other dude in LA who can list off all the cameras and the lenses and da, da, da. how many people have had my kind of education of this sound thing. And, and I did dialogue ADR, which is like the least sexy career ever on paper, but it's really cool in the sense that I was on the ADR stage with these incredible actors and on the ADR stage with these incredible directors and seeing how different directors directed actors and how they collaborated and, all the times that the directors weren't there, which is a lot for various reasons they can or won't be there. Um, having to do it myself and step in to, you know, get what the film needs. And these people, these actors don't know who the fuck I am. I'm like a 20 something chick being like, I need you to do this, this, and this. Can you try it this way? <laughs> um, so that ended up being, you know, it gave me the call. Like I had this, I had this education that I can bring with me. Yeah, that's great. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Um, You also have something very unique as I was looking through your first two writing and directing credits. So far, they're about rowing. And I'm curious to know, like, is there a connection that you personally have with the sport in some way? Um, I think with uh, the, so the novice was the, when I made the decision to move into writing and directing, 
I was looking for a story that I could tell that kind of, um, you know, that it, it's something that I want to see too. I think the, the uh, cliche advice is write what you know. And I was a collegiate rower. And so I basically took my four years of collegiate rowing and 10 years of coming of age and wrote the novice and I uh, was getting that off the ground. And because I didn't, I'm not coming from the background of a lot of first time directors with 30 commercials and music videos and short films. Um, so I made uh, Row, which was essentially a kind of a proof of concept. Um, I call it a movie vignette. There's not any dialogue or anything in it, but I wanted to try out using drones and shooting on the water and, and things. And it ended up being a good exercise because some I got some shot ideas actually from that that we used in the film. But um, that for me was really uh, just something to, to kind of flex my muscles a little bit and have something to show to, to investors as we shopped it around. But it was never really intended so much for... Um, you know, festivals and, and for people to see outside of that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, rowing for me was four years of my life, it was a huge four years of my life. Um, traumatic four years, a lovely four years, character <laughs> building four years. Uh, so yeah, I mean, right. My sort of philosophy in life is like the worst thing that can happen is it makes for a good story. So whether it's a breakup, whether it's traumatically rowing for four years, you know, you're gonna you can get something out of it. So <laughs> somebody's gonna relate to it too. So is it? I hope some of the things that happen in the novice weren't things that really happened to you because this girl goes real intense in here. Like, like I said, very anxiety filled. Yeah, well, I think um, I, I the physical things that happen were either things that I experienced or. Uh, someone on my team did or talking to rowers uh, happened and the kind of the, the more emotional beats in it. I really, a lot of that I pulled from honestly breakups and things. Uh, and as from the first draft of the script I wrote in July, 2017 to the, when we were shooting uh, October, I think started October 15th, 2019, I did a pass right before then. And I went through some breakups in that time and I wrote some things into that script that I, um experience so yeah i mean it, it is a lot of things in there i unfortunately have experienced or i'm trying to sort of convey uh you know creatively sort of the emotions and the intensity of things like um because how do you how do you show what it feels like to row um because everyone's like oh it's so beautiful i'm like if you're saying wrong, so beautiful and you would love to fucking do it, great. But you haven't really fucking experienced it. Like, you ha- I want you to know what it actually feels like. Um, They've probably only done the Orange Theory classes where you do the rowing there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, and rowing, and I get it because rowing, it looks so graceful. Like, you can watch people in a race in the Olympics, whatever, and it looks so just serene. Yeah. And I'm telling you, those people in that boat are about to fucking die. I'm sure. Like, you have no idea. So, um... So yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was tough too, like sharing the script with people. I mean, even shooting some of the more like the, the, the scene in the bathroom between Danny and Alex when they were fighting, that was a really emotional to shoot. And knowing that the whole kind of crew is watching this thing go down and seeing this thing that's like very raw. Um, yeah, it, it was tough, but it was catharsis. So it was all worth it. And I feel like with Isabel in that lead role, I feel like she anchored it all very well. Um, And she's, anytime I see her, she's very electrifying and very scary (laughs) to watch because she's so good at that. Um, As you were writing this, um, did you know that you wanted to work with her for this film? Like, did you kind of like pitch the story to her, have her in mind? Or how did that whole process go about? 
No, I mean, I, it may be in a way, like, even now it's interesting, like, writing new things. I still don't really write with people, actors in mind, per se. But, no, she came on pretty late in the sense that we finally got greenlit and um, we needed a, a lead actress. And she came in through auditions and her, her um, you know, her reading of the scene, the, there was one scene kind of everyone did and half people got it wrong, half people misinterpreted kind of how it was on the page and people nailed it and she nailed it. And then she also did this extra scene um, that I had, you know, it's funny. I had given the casting directors two scenes um, to, to give to the actresses, and everyone was only sending back one scene, and I just didn't understand why. And then Isabel sent back two scenes, and I was like, "How come she's the only one who did the two scenes?" And, but no, no, no. Isabel intuitively like chose the scene that I had also chosen, mm-hmm. and so she like had done this extra scene and did it really brilliantly, and then wrote me this like try hard letter, you know, very kind of. Uh, I gotta fucking do this and um, you know met her and she was really she had this kind of energy about her that I thought um, was what the character needed this sort of neurotic drive and Isabel even though she plays scary she's actually quite nice and and sociable she's lovely (laughs) in person like it was disarming actually meeting her for the first time I was like holy fuck like I was imagining something way different um but in, in that energy actually ended up being really uh, an asset on set because she is in every frame, every shot. She doesn't have time off. Like her sort of gung ho and, and, and enthusiasm and, and, and just youthful energy, or maybe she'll be like this forever. Uh, I hope so. Um, like that was contagious on set. So it was. She's brilliant. No, she see. I love her anytime I see her. Um, and just kind of to wrap things up, you know, are there any other projects that you're thinking about pursuing or maybe even getting in front of the camera yourself since you've done so much behind the scenes work all at this point in your career? I would definitely never be in front of the camera. Well, never say never because that's one thing I learned about myself. <laughs> that's just a bit of a fantasy. Maybe when I'm like 70 and I just don't give a fuck about anything anymore. Well, why not then? Uh, but no, I mean, I have a lot of things going, uh, right now. And this analogy that I came up with really recently, which I fucking love is, you know, as a writer director, especially you have to have a lot of sticks in the fire, uh, cause you don't know where it's going to go. And how it feels to me is a bit like you have children in the 1800s. You have to have a lot of children. You have to have 10, 15 children because most of them aren't going to make it to adulthood, <laughs> but you don't know which ones are going to live. And you have to love all your children equally. You have to nurture them. You have to care for them. And some of them just aren't going to make it. And I have no idea which ones are going to see adulthood and which ones aren't. But um, yeah, I and mean, there are a lot of things in the works. And I think to uh, my taste is pretty varied. I mean, I have um, comedy, I have uh, horror action, historical fantasy, uh, television film, the full kind of gambit. So We'll see. We'll see what, uh, hopefully maybe we'll do this again in a a year or two and we can see which child um, has hit adulthood. I'm ready for it. I'm ready to see which lovely child is about to like sprout its wings and fly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time chatting with uh, me today. It was really a pleasure to speak with you and learn a little bit more about this film. You really did. I loved it. I haven't stopped thinking about this movie, honestly, in like the last two, three months that I've seen it. So that says, that says quite a bit. I mean, like sometimes you forget about movies. Other ones just really stick with you. So I'm excited to see it. You know, that anxiety. Exactly. Exactly. That says a lot about COVID and this time that we're living in. (laughs) Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Emma Sasek's interview with Lauren Hathaway, the writer and director for the indie film The Novice here on the Next Best Picture podcast. 
The Novice is currently playing in limited release from IFC theaters and has been nominated for five Spirit Awards, including Best Film, Best Director, and Best Actress for Isabel Furman. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.